Hello, welcome everybody, Cape Christian Online. So great to have you with us as we kick off this year's Christmas series that we are calling God With Us. And uh, I think you would probably agree with me that 2020 has been anything other than a normal year. In fact, as I say that out of my mouth, it's crazy to think that this year is almost over. In some ways, it's, it's felt like a rush, and in some ways, it's felt like its own decade. Uh, for a lot of us, 2020 has been a difficult year. It's been, uh, with its challenges, it's been tough. Uh, I think that um, this year has taken a toll on a lot of us, and my observation actually is that I think it's taken more of a toll on many of us than we even realize. And I, I think we kind of come into the end of this year, most of us looking for things to get better. We're hoping for more. We're hoping for something better. We don't want a repeat of what we just had, and we really are hoping for more. And in a very different way, but in some similarities, it's not so different than the Christmas story that we're here to talk about and celebrate for the next several weeks. You see, our setting here in America and the world has not been an ideal one the last year, but the setting of the Christmas story was very much not a great setting either, especially if you were one of God's people, the Jews, the Israelites. For starters, they were under the Roman rule, under their oppression. At the time of Jesus' birth, genocide was happening. They were killing all the baby boys being born. The, 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 the Jews were overtaxed, and they were underprotected Also, they could build somebody else's kingdom. There was major oppression and starvation, and they had been in their own land, but they had been under other nations' rules for many, many years. And to make it worse, for the last 500 years, there had been promises and there had been prophecies about a savior, about a Messiah that was going to come and restore people, that was going to make things better, that it was going to make things right again. The setting of the Christmas story is, is one of, of not ideal circumstances, and God's people had been holding on to a little bit of a glimmer of hope for hundreds and hundreds of years with a promise for more. And yet it was into this setting that God decided that it was best for him to plunge himself right into the middle of it. And not as a Roman, as somebody who was on top, but as a Jew, someone who was on the bottom, the oppressed people of Israel. And so we pick up our Christmas story. We kick off our series in Matthew chapter one as we tell the story of the birth of Jesus. Matthew says it this way in verse 18. He says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. But because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him, type it with me if you know how to spell it, Emmanuel. You can use an E or an I. If you know what I mean, that was funny. Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. It's a simple idea, 
I think it's profound, yet it's often overlooked the, the, the profound impact of what does it mean that God came to be with us then, and what does it mean that God is with us now? We're calling our series God With Us because for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about how God is with us and what that means for our life. If we finish the, the reading in verse 24, it says, after they named him God With Us, it says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel told the Lord had commanded him and Mary and took him home as his wife. But he did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So after all these years, Jesus came. God sent himself, his son, to be with us. God was so crazy in love with us that he left heaven. He came down to earth to be with us. And so here's what the Christmas story is really all about. It's a willing Savior who is born to rescue unwilling people from ourselves, from themselves, because there really was no other way. I found this in, in an Advent reading, and I wanted to share this with you, this, this idea that Jesus came to be with us, and it's really about a willing Savior to help kind of an unwilling people. It's, it's beautiful. It reads this. Jesus was willing to leave the splendor of his eternity to come to this broken and groaning world. He was willing to take on human flesh with all of its frailty. He was willing to endure a shameful birth in a stable. He was willing to go through the dependency of childhood. He was willing to expose himself to all the hardships of life in this fallen world. He was willing to submit to his own law. He was willing to do the Father's will at every point of his life, even when not convenient for him. He was willing to serve, all the while deserving to be served himself. He was willing to be misunderstood and mistreated. He was willing to endure rejection and gross injustice. He was willing to preach a message that would actually cause himself personal harm. He was willing to suffer perfect, uh, public mockery and shame. He was willing to endure physical torture, and he was willing to go through the pain of the Father's rejection in heaven. Jesus was willing to die and he was willing to rise, and he was willing to uh, uh, descend and then ascend and be our constant advocate. Jesus was willing. The Christmas story is about a willing Jesus who saw us in our despair, saw us in our hopelessness, saw us in our pain, and didn't just say, well, guess what? You kind of messed this up. You kind of got what you deserve. Best of luck to you. He said, I got to go be with them because the only way to solve this, the only way to make it better, the only way to bring hope and healing and salvation is for me to go be with them. See, God recognized the condition that we were in, so he sent Jesus down to help us. And there was a major problem. We saw it at the very beginning. We actually just talked about it in our last series. There was a major problem, and it's a word that I think we've gotten a little bit weird about or afraid of in church, probably maybe because it's been maybe miscommunicated or, or it's been met with some maybe abuse or fear or shame, but it's, it's an important word because we just read it right here in Matthew chapter 1. It says that he will come and he will save the people from their sins. The problem was sin. Sin is a problem in your life. Sin is a problem in my life. And I think that maybe for some of us, sin is way more of a problem than we even realize. And for others of us, we've, ex we've kind of excluded ourselves from some things that God has for us because of sin. We're going to talk about that for a minute. But regardless, sin is a problem. And here's the truth about sin. No one has escaped it. 
None of us are exempt from it. None of us are above it. None of us have found a way around it. Sin is a part of life. In fact, Paul, the, the apostle, says it this way in Romans 3, chapter 23, uh, chapter 3, verse 23. He says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means we all have missed it. We've all sinned. And so um, we're not going to talk, uh, go super in depth about the word, but often throughout the Bible, there's three words that really describe sin. There, there's three common words that you'll read, and, and those words are sin, iniquity, and transgression. And I just want to give you kind of a really quick working definition because they all have the same kind of end game, even though they're a little bit different. The word transgression just literally means I've crossed the line. The word sin literally means to miss the mark or miss out on God's best. And the word iniquity means we've lost our way or maybe another word is a perversion or God says do one thing, you do another. So really, sin can look at different in the Bible, but you see the word transgression, I've crossed the line, I've missed the mark or I've lost my way. And many of us, if we were to be honest, that's part of our story. We've crossed lines, we've crossed lines last week, we've crossed lines today, we've missed the mark, we've missed the best, we've missed God's best. Or we've, some of we've just lost our way. We've done everything we can to search for some sort of meaning or value or whatever the case may be. And here's the truth about sin. Sin can come in many forms. Often sin is, I did this to myself. I crossed the line. I missed the mark. I made a bad decision. I lost my temper. I'm the one who was selfish. I'm the one who, I did this. Sometimes it's someone else did this to me. And that is a, that is a hard reality to face. Abuse neglect, manipulation, that someone else crosses the line, someone else misses the mark, someone else gets lost, and you're the one that has to pay for it. For some of you, that story is all too real. And, and, and another type of sin is, I did this to someone else. I lost my temper. I stole. I hurt. I lied. And because I did that, I missed the mark, and it affected someone else. Well, here's the truth. Regardless of whether it's lost your way, missed the mark, whether it's I did this to somebody else, somebody else did this to me, there are effects, there are, ir, there are like not escapable effects of sin. Ultimately, I would say this sin deteriorates your soul. It just eats at our hearts. It, it hardens our hearts. It eats away at, at our conscience. It, it, it sends us so many messages about ourselves that are not true according to what God says to be true about us. It leads to things like depression, anxiety, brokenness, pain, regret, shame, oppression, guilt. And honestly, often when, when sin happens, when sin is a part of our life, which apparently we can't escape, we regularly, we feel judged. And here's what's interesting about sin. When we sin, when we miss the marker, we, we cross the line, we often feel judged. It's like, hey, don't judge me. What I have found to be so fascinatingly true is that often we're not actually judged. We just feel judged because that's what comes with sin is that guilt and that shame. If you go to the very beginning of the story in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, it says that God went searching for them and they were so ashamed they ran and hid. So we see shame accompanies sin or often we'll feel condemned. It's like, well, you're just condemning me and I just feel so condemned. Most I've heard people say, well, I don't want to go to church or I don't want to be around them because I just feel so condemned. And I've asked like, well, what, what did they say about you? Well, nothing. I just feel it. Well, you feel it because it's real. You feel it because that's the impact that sin has on our life. But ultimately, here's, here's why God hates sin. Here's why he doesn't want us to sin. Here's why uh, we should do well to pay attention to sin, because ultimately two things. Sin negatively impacts our human relationships. We just spent a whole series talking about God really cares about how things are going here. And whether I did it to you, you did it to me, I did it to myself, it has a negative impact on my relationship with you. 
And not only that, but it has a negative impact on my relationship with God. Again, referencing Genesis, run and hide and shame and all of those things. And so this problem, this sin problem was such a big problem, obviously, that Matthew thought it was important enough to go, hey, here's why he came. He came to heal you and forgive you and free you of your sin. But I would say this, that one of the dark characteristic qualities uh, of sin that maybe we don't recognize as much or we should, or as we should, is unwillingness. I talked about a willing Jesus who came, but unwillingness often accompanies us missing the mark, us crossing the line, us losing our way. See, often when, when we experience that, we're unwilling to do what God says if it doesn't make sense to us. Or we're unwilling to inconvenience ourselves on the behalf of someone else. Or we're regularly unwilling to wait. Or we're unwilling to be vulnerable and honest and transparent and really tell the truth about what's going on in our life or in our heart. Often that, that we are unwilling to consider the loving correction of someone who actually loves us. We are often unwilling to say no to our own selfish desires. Unwillingness comes with missing the mark and crossing the line. We're, we struggle to be unwilling to answer God's call to sacrifice or even ministry. We're unwilling often to admit that we are wrong. Think about it. Sin is missing the mark. Jesus said, if you drop, if you drop the ball, if you blow it, just own it and make it right. Yet so many of us, we have such a hard time saying, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Why? That is the effect of sin. And it damages our relationship with each other. It damages our relationship with the Heavenly Father. Often we're, we're, we struggle to be, we're, we are unwilling to, to give generously or to live generously or, or even just live willingly to help other people. Unwillingness, I believe, is one of sin's powerful and damaging results that maybe we don't, we know the shame, we know the guilt, but unwilling, how often does it lead to selfishness? And, 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 and I wanna kind of bring this to life. I wanna give an illustration that, that, that we came up with. And so this, this jar here kind of represents us at our pure estate. It's, it's us when we're born. It's, it's, it's when God saves our soul. It's when we receive forgiveness. It's this, this pure, packed full of potential. And, and I think some of us, maybe we don't think about how much sin has impacted our lives. It's like, well, you know, I'm a, I hear this a lot. I've even thought this. I'm a pretty good person to which I always respond to compared to what? Are we talking Mother Teresa? Or are we talking Hitler? Like, where are we at here? But if sin is just missing the mark or crossing the line or losing our way, I would say that if that happens regularly in my life, I'm guessing I'm not the only one. Perhaps it happens in your life as well. But I mean, it's not uncommon to get cut off in the, in the street and, and sin starts to fill our heart and it starts to invade our life. And it's, um, you know, I lose my temper at my kids or I, I yell at somebody who cuts me off in, in traffic or I, um, you know, I, I'm greedy and I, I maybe don't tell the truth on my tax returns or I was selfish and I took more of something. I was, um, I, I, I lost my temper. I yelled, uh, whatever. I, I had too much to drink on the weekend. I have these coping mechanisms that probably aren't healthy. They're probably not the best, but I got to do what I got to do. And, and um, you know, I mean, it's just, it, there's, it's so easy to, to, not even just our thoughts, but our attitude. I had a bad attitude at work. I gossiped about my boss and then I gossiped about my boss and then I gossiped about my boss and then I gossiped about my coworker and my assistant manager, and then other people were gossiping, and I said, yeah, and another thing, and another thing, and another thing. Oh, just me? 
Oh wait, I am the boss in this case. Okay, uh, but you know how easy this is. Or I got, I lost my, I, I lost my patience with the kids. Or I mean, pick one. This is regularly, you know, I was driving on veterans, or I was driving on the highway, and somebody cut me off, and I screamed, and I yelled, and I imagined for 30 minutes while sitting on the bridge all the terrible things that could possibly happen to them, and I may or may not have even prayed, God, would you give them justice? You see where I'm going with this? It doesn't take long. That this could be in the same hour for me. I don't know about you. Well, I'm a pretty good person. I ate too much. I slept in. I didn't work out. I don't take care of my body. I judge other people. I'm criticized. I complain all day long on social media. I hate everything about everything. I mean, our, our sin starts to invade our lives. And before we know it, it's like, man, that was just like, there we go. It's, that's Monday. That's just Monday. Some of us, I mean, some of us have way more than that. And then you go, we got... Tuesday, and we got Wednesday, and we got Thursday, and we got all this sin in our lives. And see, sin kind of just gets everywhere. It affects us. It gets on stuff around us. And all of a sudden, what once was this clean, pure motive, and I had happy, and I was joy, and I had peace, and my marriage was good, and I loved my kids, and my job was going well, and bless God, and I was involved in church. Now, all of a sudden, it's like dark and hard and I think this maybe is a good metaphor for how many of us perhaps feel, especially around the holidays, you know? I mean, all kinds of just junk in our bad coping mechanisms. And, and Paul says, this is real. This is a problem, and this is all of us. And at this point, if you're still with us, you're probably going, wow, Pastor Corey, great Christmas message, feeling super awesome right now. If you didn't hear all those laughs, that is how we all feel in here. But I have to say that because I want to ask the most important question. How does God feel about sin? What is his response to sin? Let me tell you what I have found about sin. And because we're talking about God with us, I want to tell you this. God is with you in sin. God with us in sin. What do you mean about that? What do, what do I mean by that? How can he be with us in sin? Because see, I think most of us probably fall on one of two sides of a spectrum. But let me tell you something that I hope that sticks with you this week is that God doesn't want you to sin and he doesn't hate you for your sin. Can I say that again? God doesn't want you to sin. He doesn't want you to get lost. He doesn't want you to miss the mark. He doesn't want you to cross the line. But if and when you do, inevitably, he also doesn't hate you for it. He hates what sin does to you. He hates the effect. He hates the broken relationship. He hates the broken relationship. He, he, but he gave us a way out. What's the way out? Try harder, pray more, go to church? Nope. Send Jesus. God with us. And he will free and deliver us from the power of sin. And by the way, this is not just a one-time thing. This is a regular idea where God is saying, I came once and I'll do it again to solve the sin problem. And, and so I want to give you a picture, a story of what I think is God's posture, the best, uh, the best idea of what does God think about sin? How did he come to, what does it mean or look like for him to be with us in sin? There's so many stories throughout the Bible I could use, but I think the best one is, is captured right in John chapter eight, the gospel of John and he, and it's a story where um, a woman is caught in adultery. And, and the law of Moses, the Deut law in Deuteronomy, says anybody caught in, Mo in, in adultery is to be stoned to death. And so these Pharisees, they know that Jesus loves the law. The Pharisees were the religious leaders. But they also know Jesus loves people. So they catch this lady. They throw her at his feet. And they basically say, hey, teacher. They kind of mock and they say, hey, teacher, John chapter 8. Your law says that she should be stoned because she was caught in adultery. And so what do you think we should do? They were trying to trap Jesus. 
But it says Jesus was just so cool. He bent down, wrote on the, on the, on the ground, and, and we see this woman is caught dead in her sin. There's no, she can cover it, she could hide it, she could project it, but what, what, what happened with her is it was put out in front of everybody to see. Adulterer. Imagine if the worst thing you had ever done was put on blast for the whole world to see. Her sin is not just before God. Her sin is before all of her peers and everybody in the town. And what is Jesus going to do? This is where we see that God came to be with us in sin and what his posture is towards us because Jesus' response is this. He says, all right, you're right. The law does say that. So here's what we're going to do. Anybody else who's never had a marble in their jar, anybody else who's never judged, never been greedy, never been selfish, never had a bad attitude, never been lazy, never missed the mark, never crossed the line, any, you guys go ahead. You guys just take your turns. The ones who have never sinned, you go ahead and you just, you condemn her and you go ahead and you stone her. The story goes on and it says that one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their stone and they walked away. And we pick up the story. I want to read these scriptures to you because I love this because Jesus says his response is so the heart of God. And, 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 and I, I, I'm assuming that, and, and I'm, I'm assuming that I may be talking to some people that if you were to be really honest, you've been trying hard to hide this, but this is how you feel. And I have really, really good news for you. And it's right here in this story because this woman's sin is like, here for everybody. Here it is. This is what she did. This is what they're doing. This is what they're looking at on the internet that nobody knows. This is what they did at work and on their taxes. And she, his wife doesn't know, but he's got a friendship. That's this. And Jesus' response is in verse 9, it says, at, when they all walked away, it says, those who began to herd walked away one at a time, the older first, until only Jesus was left. Verse 10, Jesus straightened up and asked her, and he says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Verse 11, she says this, no one, sir. She says, watch Jesus' response because these two things sound so simple and so profound, but this is everything I want you to take away from this. Jesus says to her, nobody's condemned you, which by the way, who was the only one person there had never sinned? Oh, but that was Jesus. He's still there. And what's his response? He says, well, if they don't condemn you, he says, neither do I condemn you. You know what he's saying? I came to save you from this. I came to heal you from the adultery. I came to tell you you're more than that. You're worth more than this. There's better than this. I can provide. He says, I didn't come to rub your face in your mistakes. John chapter 3, verse 17 says, I didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. He tells the woman, I didn't come, even though I am the perfect one, I didn't come to take your life away. I came to give it back. Come on, somebody. He says, neither do I condemn you. And if the story were dead right there, we, that would actually be incomplete. Because then we'd be like, well, yay, Jesus doesn't condemn me. I can just do whatever I want. He always forgives me. Actually, that's true. But he says the second part, and they go together. He says, neither do I condemn you. But he also says, now go and leave your life of sin. Many versions say, go and sin no more. So we see Jesus saying two very good, two very almost seemingly different things here, but you see the heart of God is how can Jesus be with us in sin? He says, when you're here, when this is where you're at, he says, you need to know this. Number one, I don't condemn you. But number two, you don't got to keep doing that. I can heal you. I can empower you for more. I can set you free from that. As I said a minute ago, God doesn't want you to sin, but he doesn't hate you when you do. And I believe there's some of us that we have been made to feel for most of our lives that every time we think about having a bad thought, think about something bad or make a mistake, that we are the worst enemy of God, that he hates you, he's embarrassed of you, he's ashamed of you. Maybe somebody in your life, a parent or a pastor has told you, God's ashamed of you, you're embarrassing God. That's not possible. 
He would rescue you. He would chase you like Adam and Eve in the garden. He would be there with you in your shame like the woman in adultery in John chapter 8. And so God doesn't hate you. And I believe that there's a spectrum. And a lot of us probably find ourselves on one side or the other. We feel that every time I make a mistake that God hates me. And I'm here to tell you today, he doesn't hate you. He loves you. He wants to rescue you. He came to save you. And I don't just mean save your soul like salvation. I mean, you probably sinned in the last three days and he wants to save you again. But then there's this other side of us that maybe, and our, our culture is moving this way. Well, ah, sin's no big deal. No, you can't tell me that's wrong. My truth, my rights, it's no big deal. And Jesus is saying, no, sin is a big deal. It damages you. It, da- it damages your value. It damages how you see yourself. It damages our relationship. It damages my relationship with you. And so he's trying to help us understand that sin's a big deal, but I don't hate you when you do it. And, and so many of us, we don't know where to live in that. And, and I think Jesus invites us in the middle. He's like, hey, I don't condemn you, and you don't have to do this anymore. The worship team's gonna come sing a song. And I think it's perfect for this, this message. It's called O Come Emmanuel, and I imagine it being the cry of 500 years of oppression and sin and darkness. And it's, it's, it's basically, I, I think, a, a beautiful prayer of us when we're faced with our missing the mark and our crossing the line and saying, come ransom me, come fill me, come heal me, come set me free. And so as the the, the team plays this song, I just want you to think about what is Jesus wanting to say to you? What is he wanting to show you about how he's going to take care of you and take care of this as they play this song? love that song. O come, O come, Emmanuel, ransom Israel. He didn't just ransom Israel then. He came to ransom us. Now, he was the ransom for our 
sin. See, this isn't just a Christmas story. It's the redemptive story. The whole thing hinges on, as I mentioned earlier, the willingness of Jesus, the eternal willingness of Jesus. See, here's the truth. Without Jesus's willingness, you and I would still be without hope and we would be without God. Without his willingness, we would be left without the power. We would be left with the power and the curse of sin on our life. And this would be the best we could ever hope for or expect. Without the willingness of Jesus, we would be eternally damned. Without the willingness of Jesus, uh, our hope, without the willingness of Jesus, his willingness is our hope in life, in death, and in eternity. I love how Paul says it in Romans chapter five. He says it this way. He says, but God showed, this is so powerful. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to be with us and die while we were perfect. No, that's not what it says. It says Jesus died for us when we were at our worst. Our worst day, our fullest bucket that he came, he loves us so much. He came to be with us. Why? To take care of this for us. When our jar was the fullest is when Jesus came and said, this is when I want you to know my love. Peter's disciple wrote an a, a, a epistle in the New Testament, and he writes it this way in First Peter chapter 2. He says, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might uh, die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. The, Peter basically literally says when Jesus was on the cross, when he sacrificed himself, he literally took all of our sin on himself. He emptied this onto him so we could be healed and whole and set free. And it just requires us coming to him and saying, Jesus, I need you. Oh, come Emmanuel, be with me again. Forgive me again. Wash me clean again. I'm in need of you again. And Jesus's willingness then is your guarantee that he will continue to be willing today. See, right here, right now, he is willing to love you on your very worst day. Right here, right now, he is willing to forgive you again and again and again. Right here, right now, he's willing to be patient while you grow and mature at a rate that I'm sure is much slower than you would hope. Right here and right now, he's willing to battle on your behalf against evil, Right here and now, he's willing to teach you through his word if you will open his scripture and let him speak to you. Right now, he's, and right here, he's willing to, to supply every single one of your spiritual needs. Right here and now, he's willing to be faithful to you even when you're not faithful to him. Here and now, he's willing to empower you when you're weak and strengthen and restore you when you're fallen. He's willing to comfort you and to, when you're discouraged. He's willing to protect you when you've stepped into danger. Jesus remains willing to do everything he needs to feed, sustain, grow, and protect you until eternity is your final home. See, the Christmas story reminds us that our past, our present, and our future hope rests not in our willingness, but in the willingness of Jesus to leave eternity and leave heaven and come be with us. This Jesus, whom we celebrate his birth, the one in the angel sang, who's the shepherds worship, and the magi were the ones who searched. Willing Jesus is the only hope for unwilling sinners. And what Jesus did is he went to the cross and he said, you can't handle this, but I can.
And he says, I have more than enough capacity to take all of what you have. I have more than enough room to take all of your sins so that you can be pure, you can be saved, you can be healed, you can be free if you will trust me. God wants to be with us, but he can't ignore our sin. So rather than us figure it out, he said, why don't you give that to me and let me make you like new? What does it look like and what does it mean that he can't ignore sin, but he wants to be with us? There's a great story that captures this about the mayor of New York about 85 years ago. His name was Mayor LaGuardia, where we named the, uh, they named the, the airport after. A phenomenal man. It's, it's fascinating to research. He literally cleaned up New York City in the days of the mob. He was regularly seen um, riding fire trucks with the fire department to go help put out fires. He would regularly ride with the police um, to go help to take down the speakeasies and clean up some of the crime. Um, when the radio station uh, was on strike, he would go on and read the funnies to the kids because he wanted them to have something to look forward to and laugh. He would regularly take full orphanages to baseball games so they could have a normal day as kids. He was an incredible man. And there's a, a, a documented true story of one bitter cold night in January of 1935, New York City. He regularly would also uh, give the judges a night off. And so he was taking care of the bench and he was serving in a poor part of the city. And, and so the judge was sent home and Mayor LaGuardia was, was taking care of the cases. And within a few minutes, uh, an elderly woman came home and she was charged by a store owner from stealing bread. She told uh, the, the Mayor LaGuardia that her husband had just, her daughter's husband had just deserted her and her grandkids were starving. They were sick and they were starving and she had nothing else to do. But the shopkeeper insisted that stealing was a crime. It was wrong and so she must pay the penalty. Mayor LaGuardia had compassion on this woman who was just stealing to try to feed her family yet. Knew the law was stealing is $10 or 10 days in jail and $10 was a lot of, a lot of money back then. And so he says, I have to punish you. The law gives me no, there has to be a punishment for this mistake. And so he hit the gavel and he said, I charge you $10. The woman didn't have $10, but as soon as he hit the gavel, he took off his robe and he walked down and he pulled out $10 out of his wallet and he paid the bailiff. See, she was guilty and he knew it, but he paid the price. We had a sin problem and we couldn't solve it. So while our sin is a problem, Jesus paid the price. And I actually love the second part of this story. I didn't know this part before. He actually goes on and he says, and furthermore, I'm gonna find everybody else in the courtroom 50 cents for living in a town where a person has to steal bread so that her grandchildren can eat. He says, Mr. Bailiff, please collect the fines and give it to the woman, the defendant. See, that's the heart of a father. So what do I do? Jesus came to be with us in sin. We're gonna talk about this again in the next few months in a series we're gonna do, but first of all, how do we get free from it? How do we end up here? We just gotta acknowledge it. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's 1 John 1, 9. We just have to acknowledge that I'm a, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I'm broken. I have a problem I can't solve. And we have to be willing to go to the one who says, I can take care of that. Maybe you have some sin in your life that you've been hiding or you've been preserving or you've been trying to keep away and, and God is just saying, will you acknowledge it? Will you confess it to me? When we confess it, when you confess your sin, it's literally like pouring it out and allowing God to, to heal you. And it's in that confession when you're met with love and grace, when you really experience the fullness of God's love. The second thing is we have to acknowledge our need for a savior. We have to acknowledge that Jesus did come to be with us and he's the only one that can help you with this. 
And then third, you have to receive and walk in that forgiveness. You have to regularly walk in it. I, I say this often. It's important to, to regularly confess my sins. Why? So that I can pour them out onto Jesus. And let me tell you something. This, I think this is so important theologically. We don't confess our sins to obtain forgiveness. We already have forgiveness offered to us. We confess our sins to remind ourselves that we're in need of forgiveness and in need of a Savior. The forgiveness was taken care of at the cross. So maybe this holiday Christmas season, the story you needed to know or be reminded of that Jesus came to be with you even on your worst full day. Would you allow him to clean you and cleanse you? Maybe you've never let him into your life as a savior. Our favorite thing to do is to introduce people to Jesus. You can just text Cape Yes to 94000 and we wanna send you a text message. You're gonna get a video from me and we wanna explain this and walk with you through it. You can also get prayer on the chat room. Others of us, have you been walking around? Have you been carrying a full jar and, and God is saying, hey, why don't you give that to me? Spend some time with me. Let me clean you up. Let me start you anew in this next year. I love that we have a God who didn't expect us to clean up our mess, but he came to be with us in his love and grace to say, let me do for you what you can't do for yourself. Will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for coming to be with us, that you're with us even in our sin, that we would understand the simply, the simplistic profoundness of the idea that that we don't have to sin anymore, but you also don't condemn us, that you, you don't want us to sin, but you don't hate us for our sin. And so I pray, God, for anybody whose heart is open, that you would forgive us our sin, you would cleanse us, you would free us, God. For those who have been weighed down, would you let them now even experience the, the freedom of, of knowing that they're set free, knowing that they're forgiven, knowing that their sins have been washed away. God, if there's anybody here watching who's never invited you into their life, I pray now that they would create that space and say, Jesus, come sit in that place in my life. Be my savior. Thank you for being willing to rescue me even though I was unwilling to save myself from myself. God, thank you for coming to be with us. Help us to be reminded that you are always with us in every moment. Thank you for this reminder. Thank you for the birth of Jesus to come and deliver us, to set us free, to be with us always. In Jesus' name, amen.